Hey y'all, this is Sherry Witt, and you're listening to Unashamed. Unashamed is our weekly podcast where we discuss everyday topics from a biblical perspective, as well as having special guests on to give their testimonies on how the Lord has worked in their lives. Our earnest prayers that God will be lifted up, and this podcast can be used to further His kingdom. Now, on with the show, y'all. For the cause of Christ, I'll live my life This week's podcast is sponsored by Hilton Photography. Vanessa Hilton has over 25 years' experience as a professional photographer. She's located in Germantown, Ohio. You can find her on Facebook at Hilton Photography, or you can call her at 513-218-9393, or email her at psalm1849 at hotmail.com. Hi, everyone. We here at the Unashamed Podcast would like to take the time to say thank you to our veterans. Monday, November 11th is Veterans Day, and these are people that serve our wonderful country bravely, courageously, and faithfully. So if you see a veteran this weekend or any day, thank them for their service. Buy them lunch, but most of all, pray for them. Because it's Veterans Day, our special guest is a veteran, evangelist and singer Mark Bundy, and he's going to share his testimony from a soldier to a warrior. I was at a revival meeting at my home church in West Carrollton. Uh, it was about a month shy of my eighth birthday. And for a little while, you know, I started questioning what, uh, what being saved meant and what I needed to do to be saved. And my Sunday school teacher started painting a uh, real a picture for me on, you know, what it means to be lost and to, uh, to be saved and what happens if I die and I don't get saved. And, uh, you know, the picture started uh, being painted in my head a little bit. And I started to realize, you know, that I didn't want to die and go to hell. And I, I was starting to understand what sin was. And then it was at that point on uh, January 20th, about 8.30 at night, West Carrollton, on uh, Walnut Street, I went forward and, and uh, got saved. So, Irene was the, Irene Stapleton was the one that uh, met me at the altar and uh, made sure that I knew what it was all about and uh, led me to the Lord right there. Now this month is November, and November 11th is, of course, Veterans Day, and you are a veteran. How long did you serve in the forces? I uh, served 21 years in the uh, United States Army. I did four years on active duty, and I did uh, 17 years uh, in the Army National Guard, during which time I saw more of the world than what I did when I was on active with Kosovo and Iraq. And I was one of the, uh, my unit out of Xenia, Ohio, the first and one four eighth infantry was the first one of the first units on ground uh, after Hurricane Katrina hit. We were right there in the Superdome, and where all the people were, all the homeless and everyone else was uh, rallied up at, and we had to get them out of there onto safety, and we had to uh, break up a few riots and uh, keep the gangs from moving in. It was pretty much almost a combat zone. You know, when I was asked to, when I was asked about this, I gave it a lot of thought. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was saved at a very young age, uh, at just shy of eight years old. And, you know, like I said, on 20 January of uh, 1982, and I was raised in church my whole life, uh, just like many, you know, people like us, you know. But, 
I really didn't get into the Bible study or prayer till about 1987. I got to uh, take a trip down to uh, Rizaka, Georgia, and go visit a Faith Baptist camp with uh, who you would know, Martin Henderson. He's the one that took oh, me down there. Okay. And it was there I really got to understand, you know, what it meant to build your prayer life, study the Bible. I got to appreciate different kinds of singing, and I really started to appreciate good, hard preaching. And then, uh, you know, the, during about the third night of that week, uh, I was laying in I was laying in my bunk in the dorms, and I was praying. I was like, "Lord, is there something that you're trying to tell me? Is there something that you want me to do?" And you know, He started to deal with me a little bit, and. Uh, you know, I was active in the youth group and very, you know, busy with things, church outreach and everything else. And then I started to take a little bit of a slip about my sophomore year in high school. I started falling in with the wrong people a little bit. I had my first beer, smoked my first joint, and uh, all behind mom and dad's back. And uh, for about a year or so, well, it just so happened to have been back in 1991. Uh, I was asked if I wanted to go to that Baptist camp again. You know, once again, Martin Henderson asked me if I wanted to go. I was like, you know what? I got to clean myself up a little bit. Yeah, I better. Well, about the second night of that week at the camp, I really started hearing God's voice speak to me about something. And still didn't quite know what it was. And, uh, you know, I was like, I'll pray about it. Well, about halfway through my senior year, once again, I started falling into the wrong crowd. Started really getting to things I really shouldn't have gotten into. If my parents knew half of it, I'd still be grounded today, and I'm 45 years old. And, well, about halfway through my senior year, I started to take a slide a little bit. I was getting involved with things I shouldn't have been involved with. Uh... I was going to the Montgomery County Joint Vocational School, which is now the Miami Valley CTC. Uh, fell in with a bunch of farmers, good old boys, rednecks and everything. And, well, the uh, cane raising and the beer drinking picked up again. And not long after I graduated high school, you know, we moved to Tennessee. And during that time, you know, I didn't hardly know anybody, so there's no way I could have gotten myself in any trouble. And I got sick of going from temp job to temp job uh, for about three months. And finally, I thought to myself, I was like, I can't do this. I'm, I don't want to be living at home forever. And I can't move out or get on a life of my own if all I'm doing is getting moved from one temp job to another. It wasn't a fact. You know, like up around here, if the place likes you, they keep you. Well, the temp services down there were allowed to pull you off. I was one day away from getting hired from a really good paying job. Finally, I'd had enough, so I uh, went to the recruiting office in Tullahoma, Tennessee, and decided, thinking I was just going to join the National Guard to begin with, and the recruiter, he since I came in off the street and I still wasn't in high school, he uh, told me, he's like, what have you got to lose? Thing, I thought to myself, nothing. He's like... In the guard, you're only going to do one week in a month after you get done with your training and everything. He's like, what is there for you out here? I was like, really nothing. So I signed the dotted line. A couple days later, I did my physical, took my ASVAB, 
and enlisted. A month and 10 days later, January of 93, I left for uh, Army basic training. And that's when things really started to take a turn for the worse for me. Uh, we had a four-day, we had a two-day pass in between basic and AIT. Got into some things that I shouldn't have got into, you know, mostly alcohol-related. Uh, after that, I was on my best behavior for the next four weeks. Came home for two weeks. But it was when I uh, got to my first duty assignment in Fort Riley, Kansas, is when I really started, really started taking my slide. Uh, you know, being in the army and the infantry, it went with the territory for the most part to outdrink everybody around you, uh, stake your claim on any woman that you wanted, and you know, I got into some relationships that I had no business getting into. And then when uh, August of 94, I was on orders to uh, go to Korea, spend a year there. Well, I went from being wild and crazy to where I just turned into a monster. Drinking got out of hand. The womanizing, chasing skirts were got really bad. And I was really start. I was really just like in uh, Luke chapter. I think it was 15 where. Jesus was speaking of the prodigal son who found himself away in a far country where he shouldn't have been. And you know where he talked about where he was with the swine. Jews had nothing to do with pigs or the swine. Well, I was I, I made my way to the hog pen during that time. I mean, I was at a low point. All I wanted to do was go out and drink. Uh, I didn't care if she was at 10 or at 2. I wanted a night with a woman. And when I came back from Korea, no one really told me this, but uh, the ones that loved me the most and knew me, I thought I was a wild man. I think they saw me as a monster. It was almost like they didn't know me. I wasn't the mark that they knew. <clears throat> and those few weeks at home was a very long few weeks for me. Because I was I already spread my wings out, been overseas. You know, I was in a combat unit not far from the DMZ. You know, what have you got on me? And then I got back, made my return from uh, Korea to Fort Riley, Kansas. And that where I feel that I may have been at the lowest point. Uh, same thing. This time I was of age to drink. So nothing. It was all I did was uh, every night went out. It wouldn't just have a few beers. I went out and got blasted. And I didn't care who I woke up with. As long as I was on time for uh, PT formation the next day and I didn't smell too much like booze and I was shaved, I didn't care. Well, about January of uh, 96, <coughs> uh, I met the woman who would later become my wife. And uh, of all places of me to be working, I was moonlighting as a uh, bouncer at a stripper bar. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people that know me now, they're like, it's hard, it's hard to believe, but, yeah, and I got the pictures to prove it. And uh, we weren't really serious until about May of 96. Well, July of, uh, July of 96, we, uh, we got married. July 12th, and uh, 
she was already pregnant with our oldest one. And July, we got married. November 29th, our oldest son, Mark, came around. Okay. That did away with the women, but the it didn't really do away with a whole lot of the drinking. I did curb it a little bit, and I had my moments. If it was just me for the weekend, I had my moments. Well, that kept on. But the funny thing about it, during that whole time, you know, I felt that tug. It was still there. It was a mark. You're one of mine. What are you doing? And this went on for a few more years. Finally, about uh, about April, May, 2004, my guardian was getting ready to deploy to Kosovo. And I had a friend of mine who was in my squad. I was the assistant squad leader at the time. And one of the lower enlisted asked me if I wanted to go to chapel with him. Uh, the chaplain preached on something that about being far away from God. And I knew who I was. I knew who I belonged to. I went to the altar at the chapel service and prayed. They prayed with me. Next couple years, it was kind of a roller coaster ride for me. Uh, Kathy didn't really understand it all that much. And it was kind of up and down for the next uh, couple years. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd go to church for uh, a couple times and then I'd be out for several weeks. And I just, you know, the drinking kept up. I mean, there'd be times I'd go days without a drop, and then there's going to be a couple of days where, especially on the weekends, I'd get blasted. I mean, you know, if it wasn't a uh, case of Budweiser or Bud Light, it was about a fifth and a half of Jack Daniels on a weekend. You know, I was just drinking to, you know, didn't really have too many problems, just the fact that I like to get drunk. Well, fast forward a couple years. We moved to uh, we moved to our house in West Carrollton, where we lived at for 12 years, and of all places, the move next door to was the song leader in the church that I grew up in, and it just so happened to have been that the song leader of the church I grew up in was the brother of the pastor that I grew up in, Daryl Stapleton. Uh, but his uh, brother Paul, that lived next door to me, I grew up with his daughter, and. I sat out on the front porch. As soon as we got settled and everything, I was on the front porch swing. I cracked open a beer. He looked at me. He's like, Mark, what are you doing? I set the beer down and went inside. And then next thing I knew it, I ran into Daryl. I was hiding from him. Finally, I had to man up and face up to him. And he asked me, are you going to church and everything else? And he looked at me. He's like, Mark, you know better than that. He would not leave me alone. And, of course, both of my kids, Mark and Mary Ann, loved him. They started calling him Uncle Daryl. That's all I need. All right. Well, he kept on me. And then, finally, I came back from one of my annual trainings. And I got invited. I had to go to church with Paul. Went to, uh, went to church with him that Sunday night. And just for some reason, something was just eating at me. I couldn't even, I couldn't even focus on what the guy was the actual pastor wasn't preaching, and from what I gathered, I mean, the message had nothing, but I was just looking around me that whole service. And 
I saw the hymnals sitting next to me, and I remember thinking to myself, I was like, Mark, look at what you've missed out on. It's like, this is what, this was your comfort zone. This is somewhere where you need to be. Your children are young. Uh, I think Mark was about 10. Marianne was about 7 or 8. And the message had nothing to do with God moving me. I moved forward, went to the altar, asked God to forgive me. It was a little bit of a roller coaster ride for, I'd say, from June till about December. Uh, I started going to church with my brother, <clears throat> which was on the premises of the church that I grew up in, uh, First Baptist Church of uh, Springboro. Uh, Rick Carr was a pastor. My brother Jimmy was going there, and they invited they invited us over. And whenever I was off on a Sunday, you know, Kathy stayed at home. And, I took Mark and Marianne to church. Well, they've been sitting in junior church for about a month, off and on, month, six weeks. Whenever I was off work, we went Sunday morning. Well, Mark was starting asking questions, and I was a little rusty on my scripture. You know, at the time, you know, like I said, it was up and down for me that whole time period. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, you know the old saying, every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you're not sure if you're going to heaven, I didn't know this, but Mark raised his hand. Uh, on the way out, Daryl Stapleton was, you know, the assistant pastor, and he was, you know, shaking folks' hands as they are leaving. And uh, he saw Mark, he said, you raised your hand. And Mark looked up and said, yeah, I did. He said, what for? He said, I wanted to go to heaven when I die. Daryl led my son to the Lord that morning. And, uh, you know, I went home, told Kathy what happened, and Marianne started asking questions. So this was probably in July or August. Well, November, whenever I was off work, we went to church, you know, there in Springboro. Uh, they had their, uh, they had just built onto that church. And they had the, uh, I forget what it was, the uh, grand opening Sunday or whatever it was. Dedication Sunday, that's it. It was almost an all-day thing. I got off at work at 5 o'clock. I went home, hurried up, got cleaned up. Well, <clears throat> after the service, Daryl and Irene Stapleton met up with Kathy up in the front. And they led her to the Lord right there on the spot. And she had gotten saved that day. Marianne was thought she got saved that morning but I'll fast forward a little bit on that one later on so it was right there I got home I, was, I did not despite having to get up at 3 34 o'clock in the morning to be at work at 5 I did not sleep a wink that night and I was laying there thinking to myself and God was really starting to work with me that night he's like you need to leave your family well, the next day that I had off, I had about a half of a 12-pack of Bud Light in the refrigerator out in the garage. I uh, went out there, grabbed it, popped every one of those bottles, poured it down the drain, threw the bottles in the uh, carton in the trash. I said, no more. I was like, I looked up, I said, I'm fully surrendered from here on out. 
Well, a couple years later, uh, it was in April of... It was during a missions conference. April of 2008. Uh, that calling that I was telling you about earlier started coming back to me a little bit. And I finally... You know, despite all the messes that I got myself into, I'm like, I told myself, I said, Lord, I said, all those years that I wasted for you, I was like, why would you want to use me? I have done everything against everything that I was braised against, possibly fathered one or two more children, maybe. I was like, why? I was like, that can't be it. And finally, he told me, he's like, you know, I was told, he's like, I got a job for you, and I haven't given up on you. So I went up <coughs> and uh, surrendered to uh, God's will in my life, knowing it was going to be in the ministry. Well, it wasn't until about two years later where, you know, I got a little bit of time uh, preaching and got some pulpit time here and there where, you know, I'd filled in for a pastor or I preached at a nursing home or an addictions ministry and uh, I started singing a little bit more and I started buying accompaniment tracks and going with those and when I was going to Moraine Heights uh, I got used to singing to it and I had folks telling me Mark you could take this a little bit further so I really got into singing at other churches when finally it was august of uh, three years ago of uh 2016 uh the pastor of the church uh steve thornhill got a hold of me through jeff gabbard and said i hear uh you got a friend who sings we had somebody back out on our anniversary at the last moment i mean absolute last moment so i told him i was like all right I'll be there. He's like, what do you charge? I said, nothing. It's only about a five-minute drive from the house. I said, besides, this is my first time. It went over really well. <clears throat> and the man who is now my pastor, he was a member of that church, but he's filling the pulpit, I think, out in Lewisburg, I think. Yeah, somewhere right around there. I forget where. I mean, if you talk to him, he would tell you. He's, he told me, he's like, Mark, I need a singer. I'm singing or I'm preaching at this church in Dayton. Well, I uh, opened up for him, sang for him, and I noticed something started, uh, something between me and the man who's now my pastor started to click a little bit. Uh, we had another ordeal where he was filling the pulpit, where he is now the pastor. He asked me to come in and sing for him. Again, same thing. But whenever he started preaching or started saying things, I don't know what it was. My songs had something to do with his message. And, you know, and it just almost like we just started to feed off of each other. And then we filled in a couple more places. Well, we're, we were at a revival a few months later in, uh, I think it was in May. We were up at Piqua. I started, I was leading the singing, plus I was doing my song specials, and all of a sudden I started preaching a little bit before I started singing. We were singing the song Revive Us again. I don't know what happened. I don't know what came over me. But I just let loose for about five minutes. And Brother Mike looked at me and he said, after the end of the night, he's like, Mark, I don't know about you, 
but something there's something brewing up between us because it just seemed like we fed off each other like crazy so I started praying about it uh, in June he was elected pastor of the church where he's at now and he told me he's like Mark he's like I believe that God put us together for a reason and I told him I was like well you know I I knew it was going to happen but not at the time I was like, I still have things to do at my home church. Well, and, you know, we, on Saturdays or whatnot, Saturdays and some Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, you know, he went somewhere to preach. He brought me along to sing for him and lead the music. I worked the altar for him. And not long, I think it was back up to about 2016, you know, I was already, uh, singing and uh, doing a little bit of preaching. I was watching the Burlington Revival in Burlington, North Carolina, where C.T. Townsend was preaching. Somebody told me about it, and whenever I was off of work that evening, I listened to the li- watched the live stream of it. I'm watching people getting saved. And I saw a man come forward to make his profession of faith, and three days later I saw this man announce his call to the ministry, and his wife gets saved. Well, didn't know who it was. I heard the last name Harrison. And I'm like, okay, I, I know of it, David Harrison. Didn't think anything of it until about two years later, my friend down in Tennessee said, Mark, you need to hear this guy, David R. Harrison, preach. He's at a revival right now. God is moving and God's starting to tear things up. So I started watching that live stream. And all of a sudden, my burden for the revival in the Dayton area started really boiling up. It came to a boil. And finally, uh, I was told, when are you coming down here to go underneath the tent? I told him, I said, well, if I got to sleep in my if I gotta sleep in my van and eat uh, peanut butter and beanie weenies while I'm down there, I'm sure God will provide a way. Well, the pastor, David Harrison, got a hold of me and said, I want you to pray about coming down here to work for me. And uh, be on a paid or be on a staff down here at the church. At least that's how I took it. I'm thinking to myself, okay, yes, I would love to move to Eastern Tennessee. And uh, so I spent. I went. It was in June 27th. As soon as I got done running a 10-hour route, I drove all the way down to uh, Kingsport, Tennessee. I was told that the uh, missionary house was unlocked. And per my request, there was a jug of sweet tea and a can of black coffee waiting on me in the kitchen. They said all the only thing I had to do when I woke up was flip the switch on and the coffee would be ready. Well, I finally met up with David Harrison and my friend Rodney Hayes uh, down there because I wanted to go underneath there to see that tent, see what's going on in Greenville, Tennessee. I took a step in there. The service hadn't even started yet. I was being skeptical. I was thinking to myself, okay, maybe this is just something of just acting out and everything because I know that part of the uh, country is the Bible Belt and they do a lot of hooping and hollering and uh, I was at the point where I could tell the difference between big woods and brush if you get what I'm saying mm-hmm. so I walked underneath that tent and it was almost like I walked into a wall I looked around and it just the hairs on my arms started standing up my whiskers started tingling on my face I looked over at Rodney and I said, wow, 
what is this all about? And he told me, he's like, I told you. I mean, from the moment that the singing started, I stepped foot in there. You just felt the presence of God like I've never felt it anywhere before in my life. I sat there that night. I even uh, sang in their uh, community choir. I uh, put myself in the tenor section just for that night. And uh, Brother Dr. David R. Harrison, I didn't realize it was at the time, he was that man that I saw surrender to preach, and his wife, who was a stripper, had gotten saved. That was his wife, and I did not realize it till I was under the tent that night. And he'd been preaching every night since then. Well, he preached on uh, breaking the chains. And I had a few chains that were holding me down, despite being trying to surrender to God's will. I left that on the altar. I said, God, my chain of pride, jealousy, and being overzealous. I was like, I'm leaving it up to you to break for me. The next night, he preached on the cross. Something... Something hit me like I'd never been felt before. The Holy Spirit began to work on me that night while he was preaching on the cross. He said, Mark, I've got something for you. This is it for you. So I knelt at the altar, and it was right then and there that I fully surrendered to the ministry for God. I said, I don't care if I'm going to be pounding the pulpit, holding the King James Bible, or if it's holding a microphone, singing your praises, or singing uh, the gospel to people. I'm going to preach for you one way or another. And I came back, and that was when the door started to open up for me a little bit. Uh, we, uh, I came back. My birth for revival in Dayton, Ohio. I had never cried or wept so hard on the altar before. After I surrendered to God to the ministry, I started praying for a revival up here in Dayton, Ohio, for uh, God to move up here. We've got an epidemic. We've got human trafficking. We've seen the opioid overdoses, one of the worst in the country. Prostitution. I mean, you name it. We've got one of the highest, worst crime rates in the uh, state of Ohio right now. And I got a burden for this area. I called, who is now my pastor, Mike. I called him every night. I was driving the poor guy nuts. He had to be at work earlier in the morning. It wouldn't leave me. So me and Pastor Michael uh, started something with prayer. It's called CPR Ministries now. Calling people to revival. Me and him have had a burden for God to move in Dayton, Ohio. It's been so dead around here. It's almost like the churches have become very apathetic, lukewarm, and we've got all this drug uh, and opioid overdoses. What are we doing to reach this area? This area needs Christ like it's never had before. Churches that were once full, you barely see 10 people in there that once held 100 people. And that burden started getting started getting to me. So right now, myself and uh, Brother Michael, we've been praying about getting Ohio stirred up for revival to the point that we may even get uh, David R. Harrison and Voice of Hope Ministries up here real soon. So, I mean, despite the mess I made out of my life, and this is something I'm extremely humbled by, despite the messes that I have made in my life, 
with the booze, the women, the pornography, uh, the drugs before I got into the army. Uh, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Uh, that I don't want to incriminate myself with right now. Because <laughs> I, 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 I was a little bit of a thug too. After being saved. But I'll tell you this. In 2006, if I had not have rededicated myself at that point, if I had not took the step in the right direction, I have no doubt in my mind right now, I'd be at one of two places right now. I'd be buried some I would be buried at Evergreen Cemetery of West Carrollton, or I'd be in one of these uh, one of these jails and prisons in Ohio. That was the point that I was at in my life. I mean, to where I was meeting up with. I'd go to the bars and I was meeting with the uh, Dayton chapter of the Outlaws. They said they will get me a Harley so I could prospect. And you know about those guys. But at that crossroad that I met, I knew it was time to quit playing around and follow God's will. I knew what I was called to do. And through all of this, I'm not taking any credit for this because it's all God. There were times that I had sang, helped Brother Mike out when he was preaching at uh, revivals at places. We've seen a lot of people. We've seen people saved. Amen. I preached two weeks ago, and you were there. The toughest message I ever had to preach, and it was on uh, God's deadlines. I only covered three of the four, and I knew it was. God told me it was time to quit. Uh, it's time for him. Time for me to shut up and for him to work. And probably the toughest message I have ever preached anywhere that God had me do. We saw a man come forward and get saved that morning. And it's been one obstacle after another ever since then. I mean, it didn't. It just, it just when it seemed like I had nobody else on my side, it seemed like, you know, even the people closest to me, where I was going to church at the time, you would think that they would have been, you know, they would have been behind me. They weren't. But once I fully surrender to God's will, I'm starting to see him really work like I've never seen him work in my life. And I am totally, completely humbled that he took a prodigal son who who should have owned stock in Budweiser and Jack Daniels. He knew most of the trashy women around the, where he was stationed at by their first and last names. To allow me to come back to the fold and use me like he's been using me for. It's n- it's nothing me because I'm not smart enough. You know, I'm too ugly. <laughs> you know, I'm like me of all people, but it's just amazed me what I've seen over the last, especially over the last two or three years, how I've seen him work in our lives. We've, like I said, we've had every obstacle thrown at us, and sometimes it just felt like I was standing alone, completely alone. But this is when I learned to depend on him the most. You know, I don't... My prayer life increases every time we get in our one one and only car. Last house we lived in, we lost. Things just didn't work out right. Crooked mortgage, a hospital with a heart attack, and amongst other things. Didn't work out, but God moved us. 
And he finally brought me to the point that we need to depend on him and depend on him only. And by doing that, that's when I'm really seeing him do great things. And I can't wait to see what's uh, what he's got in store for me in the future. I'm Mark Bundy, and I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Thanks for listening this week to our podcast, Unashamed. We hope you enjoyed it. The song Unashamed is by Brian Free and Assurance from their album Unashamed. You can find more information about Brian Free and Assurance, a wonderful Southern Gospel group, at their website, brianfreeandassurance.com. See you next week, y'all.